Yes, one, two, good. Well, let's begin. Come on in and let's, we're going to start. Well, good evening. Welcome to the Wednesday gathering. And I want to I begin by sharing with you uh, something that I read this week. When you think of all the sermons preached, all the Sunday school lessons taught, some of you are Sunday school teachers, some of you are, would be, are parents who are teaching your kids, or you'll be filling in and teaching in junior church. Think of all the all the think of all of those lessons taught, all of the sermons preached. Think of all of that, all of the even just the conversations, the spiritual conversations that you have with your kids that are faithful to God's word, that you're bringing it to God's word. Think of them as you're planting seeds, planting seeds, and we pray, God, would you would you bring forth fruit? And I, I read this this week in. John Piper's, he has a book called The Supremacy of God in Preaching. He says this. He says, the truth, he says, all, our preaching will not be known to us. He says, the true usefulness of our preaching or our teaching, or think of all of those things, the true usefulness of our preaching or teaching or instruction will not be known to us until all the fruit on all the branches, on all the trees that have sprung up from all the seeds we've ever sown has fully ripened in the sunshine of eternity. Isn't that really good? Let me say that again. The true usefulness of our preaching or teaching or instruction will not be known to us until all the fruit on all the branches, on all the trees that have sprung up from all the seeds we've ever sown have fully ripened in the sunshine of eternity. There are, there are seeds that are being planted even to our prayers right now, this, this evening, that, that we, are, we, are, we are a subversive movement against the God of this age. In one sense, Christ is the sovereign king of this age, but there is a subversive enemy, Satan, who is also called the god of this evil age, and and we come and we, we say no, but in Jesus' name, we call out to him and do some things. We, we call out to him and asking him to do a work. We're going to do that tonight. Uh, I thought it was just really encouraging to me to think about how God is doing work, and we, we may never see it. Does anybody know Pastor Wilbur Henke? I, I visited him yesterday at the nursing home in Linden with Steve Spencer, who we need to pray for. Steve is not doing good again today. Um, so I, I visited Pastor Steve, uh, Pastor Henke. I had never met him before, and he was sharing about, and he is 95 years old. He's He's laying in bed. And he can't. He, he's had seven rough months. He said, but it's as happy as can be. Uh, doesn't have a lot of energy, but he says, he says I have a lot. He says I'm excited, but my body isn't. Kind of thing. Uh, you know, my bo- my body is stuck here. Um, and and he said that he, he 
shared two stories. One was, he said this man came and visited him, and Steve knew who it was, and he, he said he was kind of, you know, rough and maybe a little bit crash, but he came and he said, Pastor Hanky, you, you're the one that taught me how to pray. Can I pray for you right now? And he, he prayed a long time, and he said it, it just tears were coming down his eyes. As he, that, that was fruit, fruit in his ministry. Now he's laid up in bed, and he's, he's able to see a little of the fruit. And he said another lady came by, pecked him on the cheek, and said, Pastor Hanky, you rescued my husband. Thank you. And it just was a reminder of how God, there, there is fruit that we want to start praying, God, God, would you bear forth fruit in our lives? And would you do it in our parenting? Will you do it in, our, in, our, in the, the ministries that we have? And, and I, I really think that God, might, God would do things that he wouldn't otherwise do by our praying tonight for these requests. Any any news? You guys have any updates? It's not so much prayer, but is, is it prayer related? But you go. Want to give us a quick update? Okay. So to Ann Arbor. So Skyler and and, and would Jake have would Jake have to stay back? drive in to Samantha Welcome back, by the way. And welcome back. Um, okay, so we'll be we'll be praying for for the family and for Skyler and for safety. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm going to begin in prayer, and then we're going to sing. What are we singing tonight? Solid rock. My hope is built on nothing less. Solid rock. Let's pray. God. Tonight we ask that you would help us, and you would help the kids right now, and you would help Pastor Wes as he teaches. I pray that the teens would be impacted, truly impacted right now. I pray, God, that you'd be with the kids and the kids' club, and that they would be impacted. And, Father, use this time as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, and as we, we pray and we long for you to do your work. And I pray for this little girl. I pray for Skylar that you would heal her and give wisdom to the doctors. They would give safety to travel and be able to go as soon as possible. In Jesus' name. Maybe seated. Turn to the Sermon on the Mount. Which, where is the Sermon on the Mount? 
Matthew 5. Is that, is that what I heard? I heard mumbling. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. You have, if you came in, and hopefully you got, when you came in, you got a handout. Matthew 5. Uh, let's, if you have your Bibles, turn to that, because I'm going to read the verses preceding that up till 5, starting in verse one. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, he, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they, those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis says this about the great sin. What do you think he called? He he had a chapter called The Great Sin. What do you think that was about? What was the great sin? Can anyone guess? What? What? Pride. It actually was pride. He says it this way, There is one vice of which no man is in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine that they are guilty themselves. There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular, and no fault which he, in which we are more unconscious of, uh, in ourselves. And the more we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. The vice I'm ta- talking of is pride and self-conceit, and the virtue opposite is, in Christian morals, is called humility. And he goes on to, to say something about it at the end. He says, If God, in God, you come against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. And any of us, at any moment, may be in this death trap. Luckily, we have a test. Whenever we find that our religious life is making us feel that we are good, above all, that we are better than someone else, I think we may be sure that we are being acted on, not by God, but by the devil. The real test of being in the presence of God is that you either forget about yourself altogether or see yourself as a small, dirty object. It is better to forget about yourselves altogether. For pride is a spiritual cancer. It eats up every possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. Now I want you to catch this, the breath of fresh air that comes with true humility. And He, that is God, and you are two things of such a kind that if you really get into any kind of touch with God, you will in fact be humble, delightedly humble feeling the infinite relief of having 
for once got rid of all the silly nonsense about your own dignity, which has made you restless and unhappy all your life. He is trying to make you humble in order to make this moment possible. He's trying to take off a lot of the silly, ugly, fancy dress in which we all have got ourselves up in and are strutting about like little idiots that we are. I wish I had got a bit further with humility myself, he says. If I had, I could probably tell you more about the relief, the comfort of taking the fancy dress off, getting rid of the false self with all its look at me and aren't I a good boy and all its posing and posturing. To get even near it, even for a moment, is like a drink of cold water to a man in the desert. Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be the sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he's nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. And the biggest step, too. At least, nothing, whatever, can be done before. If you think you are not conceited, it means that you are very conceited indeed. Which introduces the, the subject of tonight, where Jesus said to the disciples, God's favor is upon you. God's favor is upon the one who is me. God's favor that results in a joy and a happiness. That's a, just a relief. And it, His favor upon the person who is me, for they shall inherit the earth. So what does it mean to be me? that? Dorothy is meek and mild and miserable about what she? Is that how they described her? Cool. Okay. We might actually sing, a, isn't there a Christmas song Jesus meek and mild? Low, you know. And so what is meek? Okay. Okay, slow, so slow to respond. Okay, gentle. Oh, he, okay, Dwayne, thank you. Thanks for that testimonial. <laughs> He's there studying a study Bible. This, this is an open book quiz. Um, okay, the, the whole, the concept of me, it, and, and this is why I bring out humility, it really is, it is a, a spirit, and now remember, we're, we're getting a lot of attitudes here. He's saying, the poor in spirit is an attitude. There, there's a, and what did we say was a poor in spirit? That was the first beatitude. Remember? He or she feels a spiritual bankruptcy in, in himself or herself. But, and knows that anything good comes from God 
and is completely dependent on God. And he says, that is a good thing. That is a humble heart. That is, that is an understanding who we are and how we don't have anything. We are beggarly before God. We are desperately begging God for his, we need him. The, the proud run around thinking they got it made, but they don't have it made. And it, so that's the first. And then he says, blessed are those who mourn. They're grieving over their own sin and the sins of others. Now he says, blessed are the meek. As Dwayne said, it does mean gentle. But this, this isn't the gentleness that just is a wimp. This is it. I mean, would you say that, here, here's, I, th- I think we would say that everything in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus exemplified. Would you agree? I think we're going to see this. Okay, so Jesus was meek. In fact, he says, I'm meek and lowly of heart, and you'll find rest for my soul. And I think that's in chapter 10. Can you think of some times when Jesus wasn't what we would call gentle? Yeah, that's what I think of the most. I mean, okay, he, he overturned the table. And we'll come back to that in a, in a minute. The, the meekness that is described in here is the type of gentleness that results and, ha- and has with a gentleness a self that self-control that is entailed with that type of gentleness. It's the type of it's the type of gentleness that is strong. And in fact, the next beatitude it's going to say, "Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness." Now, there's two types of things that I think could be coming out of that. He hungers and thirsts that we would be righteous, and I want to have righteousness. But there's also the kind that goes. They are not receiving righteousness. They're not being justly treated. I care about that. I'm going to do something about it. It's the type that William Wilberforce in the 1800s fought for decades in Parliament to end the slave trade because he hungered and thirsted after true righteousness and he wanted justice to be done. There's that... And and that takes a type of zeal and a type of, I mean, I'm just going to roll up my sleeves. I'm going to go at it. I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight for the... for injustices and for those that are hurting and being exploited. So there is that. Gentleness, though, also says, okay, I'm, when I'm provoked, there's a self-control in my response. And I'm able, I, I may be strong, but there's a tenderness in how I respond when provoked. It is what some have said, uh, it's, it's a freedom of malice. There's just not an evil intent that's coming out of a, a meek person or a vengeful spirit. And, and, and here are the reasons why. I, I wrote down this as I was pondering this concept of meek. Meekness requires a proper view of ourself. That's the first thing. Meekness requires a proper view of God. And meekness requires a proper view of others. Meekness that we're talking about here, a God-centered meekness. A a meekness that is, when provoked, is humble, does not have a high view of self. In fact, in some ways, it does have this idea of, I'm gentle, it does not have a high view of self. It's not always trying to exert my rights. It's not always trying to get justice. 
for myself. I'm not always going after that because I have a pretty humble view of myself. I, I'm, I have a certain perspective of myself. And now here's where it really comes out. Have you ever said, it's easy for me, and you, even you probably, to go, man, I'm just, I'm a sinner, man. If only you knew. If you only knew. Man, I, I can be a wretch sometimes. I can be a jerk. Man, I can be, I'm a miserable sinner. That's one thing for me to say that about myself. But when you come up to me and you tell me that I am too, all of a sudden I'm starting to, to feel anxious and frustrated and defensive. Right? If, if you, you can say negative things about yourself to somebody, but when they say negative things about you, all of a sudden there's this feeling of, wait a minute, I'm a lot better than you think I am. Meekness is that that in this kind is the type that one's heart and attitude has changed. That yes, maybe they're unfair, maybe they are even wrong when injustices are come, but our heart's response isn't immediately to go on the attack or even on the defense because we have a proper view of self, a proper view of God, and a proper view of others. So what is the what do you think in having a, this type of meek heart that gently responds, doesn't quickly is not quick to get angry, is quick to forgive, is quick to show mercy, is quick to listen when somebody criticizes me, what or or, or treats me unjust and is quick to let that go to the side, what kind of view of self In fact, what is the biblical view of self? Now, that, that might be a tricky question. Yes. Okay, yeah. And what, what might that honest... What, what does the Bible... How does the Bible describe the human heart? Okay, it's wicked beyond understanding. Now, that doesn't mean that we're always, somebody comes to us, accuses us, and immediately we go, I'm wicked beyond understanding, so of course you're right. That's not always the, you know. <laughs> you know, in fact, sometimes that's the coward way out. I mean, or that sometimes can be the expression of somebody that is so insecure that they immediately kind of fold up into the fetal position and they can't handle it. So, no, I'm not talking about that. There, but I'm talking about a type of, I have a proper view of myself that I know what the Bible says, that I am prone to sin, I'm prone to selfishness, I'm prone to these things. And, so, and, and more than that, I'm in my poverty of spirit, God has rescued me. I've been a recipient of God's grace. I've received His righteousness. I'm already secure. I'm already in Him. So when someone comes to me, I don't have... I, I'm able, I have a pro, as a proper view of self, meekness can't, when that proper view of self is properly enforcing in my life, I can respond in a meekness. Meaning, I, I don't think so highly of myself beyond somebody's criticism, beyond somebody's disdain, beyond somebody's coming to you. And, and it surely doesn't justify anybody's wrong behavior. 
but it, it provides a type of cushioning, suspension for me to just go boom right away and respond. What kind of proper view of God do we need to have to be able to have a meek spirit towards people that we need to have a meek spirit that provoke meekness out of us? What's that view of God we need to have? I would say that that might be part of it, and that okay. What else? I think that it, that okay. He sees us. There's a, okay. He he knows our weakness, and he, okay. There is a side in which we go. I can't keep anything from God, just like I can't keep anything from my wife. <laughs> she knows the real me, maybe not fully, but she knows. You know, she knows the real me, and I, you know. You know, it's you know, if I can come up and speak about a su- subject, and she's sitting there, she's not tonight. But if she was, you know, it's like I. And so God, He knows that that keeps me humble. Would you say there's all, also when you hear this command? Sometimes it's meant to be okay. I know that my the challenge to be meek is hard because injustices or people things come in my life. God told me that blessed are the meek. Does it always seem like the meek get ahead in this world? It doesn't in the in the presidential races, does it? I mean, it's the opposite of meekness. I mean, they are constantly asserting themselves. So we kind of have to trust God. Right? I mean, it's kind of like, I just want to, God, I trust you. You, you set all accounts. There, there might be, I, need, I may need to say something, but how I say it is impacted by a, I trust you more, God, than my ability to assert myself. I may need to assert myself because I need to defend somebody else. In fact, when Jesus asserted himself in the temple, was Jesus going? Was Jesus defending the rights of Jesus? Whose rights was he defending? Or in a sense, yeah, he was the honor and dignity of his father. Zeal for his name had consumed him, and he and he was. There was this. There, there was a righteous zeal, and yet here, here is a man that was being treated uh, and being misunderstood all the time, and he showed a meekness and kindness. Meekness requires a proper view of of others. What, what do you think might be the view that we need, God wants us to have of others that is critical to meekness? any greater sinner or they're just as they're just as needy you know that when when we're faced with meek have to exercise meekness there's injustice done to us and we want to get back at them and in their minds we start to create we create cases about how they're 
worse than me. They're, they're this kind of person. They're a jerk. They're unfair. All these things in our minds need to, you know. If, if there's any way that I'm farther along in my, my walk with them in my heart, it's only because of God's grace. And not only that is God is called. What is, what is the great commandment in the second great commandment? In the second life in four. Remember, what was the great commandment, greatest commandment? And love your neighbor. I'm called to love my neighbor. I'm called to love the person that is stretching my meat muscle. And in fact, and if, if it's not your neighbor, it's your enemy. <laughs> and what are we supposed to do with our enemies? Pray for them, love them, and show a type of meekness. Them. In fact, we're going to we'll see that in the in the Sermon on the Mount towards that towards that revile us and persecute us and say all evil against us falsely. But, but Jesus is saying there there's a type of demeanor of God's people. They don't get they're they're not getting they don't get rolled over and they, it's not like they're pushover all the time and they speak up for truth and they're bold, but for themselves. They're, they're, they're so quick not to be defensive. They're so quick not to be just jumping at an opportunity to just defend themselves. Um, because they, they have a proper view. They understand who they are. They're, they're humbled by that. They, they see God as such a big God. And it, that they're so... It's sometimes easy for us to look at others and make that the standard in which we compare ourselves. And we so we, oh, I, I see them. They're, they're not very doing very good. I, I'm compared to them. I'm doing, where did God say that should be our standard of comparison? God is our standard of comparison. And that should humble us. But thank God we have that gospel that picks us up and goes, yeah, you never met the standard. But in Jesus, He did. Jesus did meet the standard for me. And, and the very place, and, and, and He has given me grace. He gives me an opportunity to be, have a meekness. Any thoughts about this? What, what are some thoughts about, what are some experiences in your life that stretch your meekness? Meaning, meaning people would view it as weakness. Right. Mm-hmm. Is there a work scenario to think of that it's hard to be meek? I have, thanks, Julie. <laughs>
think it how we deal with criticism. Are, is criticism is anybody really good at dealing with criticism in a godly way? I don't think anybody likes it. Or we're naturally inclined to do well with it. But there are many Proverbs that talk about both Proverbs, and I think, I'm trying to think there's a psalm where, you know, let my, let my, the, the one that's true friend is the one that brings my troubles to me and, and, and speaks forthright to me. And, and, I, and I listen. I listen to correction. I listen to instruction. It is impossible to be a person that listens to correction or instruction or even criticism if they're not meek. It takes meekness to listen to criticism, to listen to it. It takes a type of meekness to sit there and go, because sometimes, and sometimes you might not even agree with them. But you listen and say, you know what? There could be something in there, a kernel that is true. Or at the very least, God has allowed this in my life to humble me and to remember that I'm not such a big shot. And what other, can you think of any other experiences of drivers can stretch your I mean, the ones that cut you off or won't let you in. I mean, but we think, who am I? I you know what? In fact, it's different. Have you ever noticed how it's so easy to get really mad at the driver, but it's not hard to get mad at the person in the, in the grocery store when you merge at an aisle? You're like, you look them in the eye, they're close. Oh, go ahead. You know, go ahead. I don't mind. I mean, but it, if it's in the car, it's like, is that you? And, huh? Yeah, that very unmeet person. Do, do our kids experience a meek parent? Does that mean that we're a pushover parent? Should, I mean, does does that therefore mean that we're not strict or, stir, or at times stern or or firm? I, I don't think so. I don't think that means that at all. But there is a type of meekness. It means quick to re- confess our sins when our, our when our sins have been pointed out. You know, even even when here's here's where it is. This is and we're, we're going to wrap up with this. Pride and meekness at times comes when someone brings a problem that your way and you think that, okay, they might be right, but there's like ten things wrong with them. 
In fact, that sometimes happens even with my kids. I mean, I might be correcting them, and they'll go, but Dad, you said this, and you did this, and why did you do that? And I'll say, you have one truth, but you had a total bad attitude, this or that, and I might have to stop and go, son, yeah, I didn't handle that well. I'm sorry. But that does not excuse the way you responded. You need to, and, and this is, and, and but there is a, a listening. Now, we can't do that with, we don't always can always do that with some other peer or person that's going to come and criticize us. Sometimes it's saying, thank you. Thanks for bringing that to me. And, and usually um, the meek response, when they have ten things that need to be pointed out to them, that's rarely the time to do it. Because it feels vengeful and your heart hasn't prayed about it and sought is not ready to do it well. You're not spiritually qualified at the moment when you just received a criticism to criticize someone else. Let's pray that we as a people would be lights in the world by being meek. In, in the workplace, in the home, in our community, in our neighborhood, in our friends, that we have a meek spirit. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's transition to prayer. Who's going to record the prayer? For Julie, you're going to tonight. Thanks. Um, you can see on the back sheet prayer requests. Praying for faith. We need to pray that there. You see there's two categories, the prayer requests, praises, and then the very top are some general categories of, that I would ask you to regularly pray for the church. I, let's pray that God would give us a hunger for the Word. Pray that there would be gospel growth. Would you pray for that? Would you pray for me in that? I, I want to take this time every time. I The I want to be careful to point this out because it's so easy for me even as a pastor to feel like make, well, okay, my Sunday sermon was about who is the center of our hope? It's Jesus. It's not relation a relationship. It's not something else. It's Jesus. And so my hope could be in something else. I'm really thankful that God gave us a good offering last Sunday. Praise God, we prayed for that. God provided. The last two Sundays, it's been really full here with a lot of visitors. And I, I would like to think, okay, God, would you answer our prayers and be doing a stirring and a work in people's hearts? And so I'd ask you to do that. Would you pray for me as I prepare to preach? You'd be with Pastor Jay, that God would be with Pastor Jay as he plans the music. That you'd be with this Sunday we have baptism. There's four people getting baptized. So let's pray for the service. And when we pray, we pray for hunger for the Word. We pray for gospel growth. And so please, please do that. And I really believe that we will in time look and go, see, God's answering my prayer. You get the glory, God. We, we, just, we, get, we get to see their eyes. We get to see what you're doing. We need to pray for relationships. Um, 
Chris Griffith shared with us that they're going through divorce. He shared with us in the meeting two weeks ago when we prayed for them. They're, we need to pray for marriage relationships in our church. Would you pray for the marriage event that we're going to have? We're planning it for March 12th. I hope you can make it. Pray that God would work in the marriages of our church. That those that are teetering and really hurting, God would bring healing if He does that. To the worst and most difficult occasions. We need to we need to continue to pray for Skyler. We need to pray for Steve Spencer. He's I think listed there. He is probably going in early tomorrow morning. He has had constant headaches and, and vomiting. Like he has hardly slept every night. And he felt good on Monday. And yesterday we went to visit somebody, but he's not doing well. They took a scan of his brain, and he has a disc of that. He's going to take it. To, they said to take it to the emergency at, with the disc, and so they're going to probably admit him. What other requests do we have? Let's pray for those that are in need, but let's also pray especially for those that are in spiritual need. Yeah, Jay? know Rory Rourke? He's come on Wednesday. He, he, he hardly is able to make it on Sundays because he works about 70 hours a week. He, I talked to him tonight. He, he just he needs our prayer. Work has been really tough. Um, he's still grieving heavily the loss of his wife. And it's just been really hard. His daughter is going to have a baby, I think, late February. that we need to just they're not outdated they're not they don't expire <clears throat> we need to pray pray with earnestness for all of these things tonight anyone else have any more before we go to prayer Gloria Joy died oh yes I have an update on that too because I talked to her today oh do you, do you well she Joy, Joy is 
been on oxygen now for a while. Bless her heart. Her, she has two hours of oxygen. So she has to slip out at the end of the service. Because she, she gets in, she has her fresh oxygen for the Sunday school class. And uh, my, my Barnabas is in that class and loved it. But she, they don't know exactly what's the cause of that. She had lung cancer like in 91. Um, and they had to cut, remove part of her lungs. So she doesn't, she doesn't think it's cancer, but she no. And the next, a week and a half on Monday... So not this Monday, but next Monday, she's going to find out. Did you? Is there anything more regarding that? As we look for a house, nothing yet. Let's take this time now, break up into groups of two to four, share any prayer requests among yourself, but then let's get right to pray. Let's use this list and pray for pray for this, pray for the church.